I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to our special Ulster Rugby Roundup season review. I'm your host, Gareth and with me, as always, is Adam McCandry. Hello. But not, in fact, Jonathan Bradley. He's called in sick, obviously, Stuart McCluskey's admission from the Ireland squad has taken its toll. Probably so. Who's stepping in? Well, we have a podcast debutant. Who is it? I feel like we should have a, a wee drum roll here or something just to introduce you. It's none other than the weekly Donal himself, Donal O'Reilly in the flesh. Yeah, Hello. I really exist. <laughs> you really <laughs> exist. How does it feel to be here in in person? Yeah, I mean the offices are gilded and gold, and uh, <laughs> don't do tell people. Yeah, it's a, it's a well kept secret. It's lovely. No, it's good. It's good to be here. I'm excited. Yes, you're our first ever fan representative on the podcast, I believe. Mm. So, how's that feel? Uh, pleased to represent, yeah. So. Good. You have a weight on your shoulders today. Feeling the pressure. <laughs> Already crumbling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do every week. Uh, we pitched this then as a listener question special, so we've got plenty for me all to discuss this week. But of course, where else would we start but with a certain Stuart McCluskey? Adam Chris Toole and Rory Miller and plenty more um, really have asked what has Stuart got to do to get into the Irish rugby squad? Of course, just in case anybody has been like uh, on the moon the, the last 48 hours, um, Stuart McCluskey didn't make it into the 44-man training squad for Ireland's World Cup campaign and everybody was uh, livid, shall we say. Rightly so. I think what's even worse than just missing out on the squad is the fact that Rory Scannell made the squad ahead of him uh, as well, which I think was just a, a sort of kick in the man when he's down sort of thing. And then he went and lost his wallet, which <laughs> yeah. probably didn't help matters either. But no, after the if season, anybody sees a wallet by Belfast, probably sure McCluskey. <laughs> Did it, has he not found it yet? I don't know. He hasn't tweeted to say he'd found it. Okay, well, like whenever who was it lost their dog? Jordy Murphy. Jordy Murphy. At and least he tweeted to say he found his dog. Cooney lost his passport. Can you Did he? No, I didn't see that one. What's up with Ulster players and just careless? They're absolutely careless. It's a disgrace. That's um, another podcast episode <laughs> in itself. Um, but yeah, after the season he's had, after the performances he's put in for Ulster, the fact that you know he's he's practically played every game this season for Ulster, and he has been their standout performer for the for the past twelve months. The fact that then this squad comes out. First of all, he's not on it, and second of all, he's somehow fallen behind Rory Scannell in the pecking order as well. It's galling. Like it's, I just can't understand the logic behind the, the decision. I was trying to play devil's advocate yesterday, sort of going through all the reasons. You know, why has he not been selected? Well, maybe it's because he doesn't suit the style. But then you've already got Bundyaki in there, who's the par twelve, and you've got Robbie Henshaw, who's sort of the playmaking twelve. So then, you know, you, you can have another twelve in who's who could be one or e- one of either or both. I think I think Stuart Bukowski can play both. I think he's proven this year that he has been a distributor at times, um, even though the power side of the game is is his forte. But I, I just can't see any reason rugby wise why you would not have Stuart McCluskey in that squad because he has been the standout centre in Ireland for the past 12 months. He's been a mainstay in that Ulster squad. He's been so focal in that uh, in that attack, especially since, and as we've discussed on the podcast, Ulster don't have that dominating 10. So you look mm-hmm. at you look at Leinster having uh, Johnny Sexton, you look at Munster having Joey Carberry, who run the show. Ulster don't quite have that with Billy Burns yet. So Stuart McCluskey has had to take a lot of the playmaking responsibility on his shoulders. So not only is he being relied on as one of the focal points in Ulster's attack from 12 in terms of being that guy going forward, he's also being relied on a lot as sort of the, the playmaker in that back line, even though he doesn't quite look it, even though it doesn't mm. come across that way. So purely rugby-wise, <clears throat> I cannot make an argument for why Stuart McCluskey is not on that squad, particularly if you've got Rory Scannell there. If Rory Scannell wasn't there, you'd be having a whole other conversation about, well, <clears throat> look, he, he's just decided not to take three twelves, or he's, he's not looking at three inside centres. But the fact that you do have Rory Scannell there mm. means, you know, that he, he was always going to take another 12, <clears throat> so w- why not McCluskey, who, who is clearly in better form, 
and is clearly a better player than Scannell has been over the last 12 months. Don't know. Anthony English uh, says that looking at the players that have made the squad, do you realistically think he should have been there in front of them? I suppose Rory is the one. Would you have included him in there? Yeah, I, I would have included him in there. Only made a little bit more complicated by the pot- potential absence of Will Addison, who's another centre, possibly. Mm-hmm. Would the two of them playing more of the season together for Ulster have helped their respective chances of going together as well? I think it probably would have because you have Gary Ringrose who's a little bit more versatile in terms of his footwork playing alongside uh, Henshaw who's a bit more direct. Mm -hmm. And if you had that same mould being practised week in week out for Ulster um, between Addison and McCluskey I think it would have helped both of them. Um... But I just think, you know, you look at all the metrics that are coming out about the top stats and McCluskey's hitting top five and four or five of those metrics, but lines, our defenders beaten, lines broken, offloads made. I don't know what else he has to do, really. Yeah. Johnny has written, comment pasted in today's paper, just basically highlighting that uh, he's never been, seemed to have been Joe Schmidt's man. I don't, I don't think Johnny was surprised by... Uh, the fact that Stuart didn't make it to... Is that, is that all it is, or is there something more in terms of a style of play? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of along the same lines as Johnny. I'm not surprised that he's missed out on the squad. I thought he would have been in the squad, but I'm not. once his name wasn't in the squad, I wasn't overly surprised, because it is just one of those things where, to use Darren Caves phrase sometimes the face doesn't fit mm-hmm. and that's that's not you know like anything on Stuart's personality or anything like that it's just sometimes a coach just doesn't like a player and whether that be something particular in his game or something particular about another person's game that he likes sometimes it just doesn't work out for you Stuart set up to be the next Darren Cave then well that, that's exactly the comparison I was thinking of it, it really is a shame because I feel like under another coach, he he would maybe be one of the first names in the squad. Um, <clears throat> and I think he probably suffers from the fact that his game is so similar to Bundy Aki's in that Aki is very much, you know, a guy who loves the physical side of the game, who loves taking contact exactly the same as McCluskey, except Aki, I think, does add that little little bit more. I think McCluskey certainly closed the gap in terms of the difference between the two over the past uh, over the past season. But I think Aki just gives you that little bit more and will still edge that. Plus he's proven himself at the international <clears throat> level before as well. Stuart McCluskey hasn't had his fair shot at proving himself at international level. But then it's hard to argue against Aki who has been so good for Ireland over the past few years, you know, it would be really tough on him to turn around and say, well, now I've got to give Stu McCluskey a shot whenever Aki has been so good for Ireland. He's been part of those grand, the Grand Slam winning squad and he's relied on by Joe Schmidt. So if, if Aki wasn't there, I think you have the perfect one-two tandem between uh, McCluskey and Henshaw in terms of the par 12 and the Guile 12 almost. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate. It's really unfortunate for McCluskey. I also think though this year has been a bit of a step backward for Farrell at Munster. He's not getting the same raving reviews that he did in the past. Uh, the distribution that was once really impressive since he came back from France doesn't seem to be there this year and it seems a foregone conclusion that when he gets the ball that he's just going to truck it up. At least with McCluskey you know there's potential for an offload. He is so strong at getting the arms and the ball above the tackler and releasing another player. Dave Shanahan's one of Ulster's top try scorers this year and I'd say an awful lot of those are due to Stu McCluskey breaking the lines. So I think there's even an argument that he should be there ahead of Farrell as well. Wait, wait, you think he hasn't got there? Um, I I think coaches have their favourites and you see it at club level and potentially that's going to be magnified at international level because the coach has less time with the player and if there's something about that relationship that's just not right there's less time to make it right and how much of a risk is he prepared to take on a player where maybe that relationship's not quite 100% or whatever 
um, in a short World Cup window. I just think Joe Schmidt's known for being a low-risk coach, so he's just taking a low-risk option. You've, you've got to bear in mind that this World Cup is where Joe Schmidt has to leave his legacy. We've talked about it before, <clears throat> how he's won the Grand Slam, how he's beaten the All Blacks, but the only thing that he will probably be remembered for is how does he perform with Ireland in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to at least take them beyond the quarterfinals. Yeah. You'd imagine they've at least got to get to the final in order for it to be considered a success. Well, that's what Jacob Stockdale said in today's paper, that that's the way he was looking at it until yeah. the Autumn Internationals. And yes, for him it hasn't changed, and for a lot of yeah. people it has. So I think the squad are certainly saying if they don't reach the final, it's... So, so for Joe Schmidt, who <clears throat> will walk away from Ireland after the World Cup, you can't say he'll have any regrets. You can't say uh, he'll have uh, he'll owe anything to Ireland. But he will go away after the World Cup if they don't win it, and especially if they don't get past the quarterfinals. He'll be going away saying, "Well, what, what was that all for?" Mm-hmm. Because that's that's where he has to leave his legacy. This is the last chance for him to really do something that he hasn't done with Ireland yet. The, the one thing people were sort of saying about the squad announcement yesterday then and obviously the, the disappointments for uh, McCluskey and Allison, uh, probably those two in particular, that uh, Joe Schmidt did leave it open for one or two guys, he said, that maybe added to the squad at a later stage. Now there seems to be people hoping that McCluskey in particular could be one of those, or Allison when he returns to fitness could be one of those. But if you look at the squad at the bottom, it says unavailable injury and name checked are Dan Levy and Sean O'Brien. If Allison's going to get the call up, surely his name's thrown in there. I mean, why wouldn't it be? Well, I think if you compare Addison's season to Mike Healy at Munster, Addison's been far the better player. Both these players were sort of headhunted by Joe Schmidt for purposes like this, like the World Cup. They arrived in time and they were Irish qualified and had it not been for injury, I'm pretty sure Addison would have been there. I, th- I think if Addison gets in any way fit and he can train well, he probably replaces uh, Healy straight away. Yeah. Not been that impressed with Healy, has to be said. I, I don't think it's necessarily a case of replacing him. I think he'll just be called up. I think though, whenever Schmidt says he's going to call up maybe one or two more guys, guys who can prove their fitness over the sort of the next month or so, like they'll be keeping tabs on Addison uh, in particular, just to, you know, say, look, if you can prove your fitness, maybe Marty Murr as well, we'll bring you into camp, we'll see what you've got to offer and you'll be put into the mix. It's not for the likes of Stu McCluskey or anything like that. If guys are fit yeah. right now and have missed the initial squad, they're not going to get called up. It's four guys like mm. Addison and Murr who... Do you not think it's a concern that Allison wasn't at least his name wasn't included in that injury list? Not, not necessarily. Um, yes, I think there. If that was the case, then I think yeah, probably he should be named on that list. But I think they're probably keeping it open just to say you know, well if if he was injured, why have you suddenly called him up to the squad? I think they're leaving it leaving it open. Um, certainly, he he's injured. Like he's, if he wasn't injured, he would have come back towards the end of Ulster's campaign, like Ludic, like Stockdale did. He's far too good a player to afford ha- having him sitting on the sidelines if he's not fit and available. So uh, I think he is fit. Or, uh, sorry, I th- I think he is injured, but he will be given a chance to prove his fitness to yeah. get back into the squad. Don't know, it's just coming to my attention that if somebody's listening to this podcast for the first time, they might not really know who you are because they'll have missed all the weekly donor segments. So we should just say that since the podcast's been going now for over a year and a half, mm-hmm. and you've been a part of it, every bit as much a part of it as, as us from uh, week one. Oh, no, no. So you, we should just explain if anybody doesn't know that we, we always throw it open to questions every week. And from week one... You were one of our main contributors right, and got yeah. your own segment on the podcast, the weekly donut, your own special question. And the now hashtag has morphed over that time, sometimes <laughs> depending on the character limit of Twitter. Um, TWD got a bit of a slagging for a while, but <laughs> that wasn't through my choice. That in was your the, diva desk. That's it, the uh, character limit dummy there. You did get noticed on the Facebook page recently that's when right. somebody was like, are you the, the donut? I was like, right. yes, you are the donut. Is there any You're famous by association. <laughs> the best one so, so as our, our first fan representative on then Donald, is there any way do you, like do you look at this in any way from a selfish Ulster point of view and go, well, happy days, we're we're gonna have Stuart oh. World for 
Not really, because I've although I'm an Ulster fan, I'm a fan of the players, and you just got a feel for Stuart McCluskey. Like, mm. yes, it will be Ulster's game that he'll be fresh. He'll do the full preseason. He'll always be available, but he's he's gonna want to be there. Um, and I suppose another four years is a long time down the line. There's other players coming through. The age profile of the guys he's currently playing with is still very young. Mm-hmm. They're competing with is still very young. So having the season that he had, which is probably the best season of his life, this this would have been it. So I'm just disappointed for him. Yeah. Um, I typically, Irish teams have a bad season after a World Cup. So... <laughs> It might smooth out some low, smooth out that trough a little bit for Ulster, and I really think Ulster are on the right trajectory. Um, but it's hard to see it as a positive. I think I mm. still just, I just feel it's very bad noble. for him. Yeah, very noble. Ian Frizzell, Ian Frizzell question uh, is quite alarming in some ways because it's something I hadn't considered. But he makes a good point. Could being snubbed by his country have a very good player, assuming he means Stuart McCluskey, looking to cash in elsewhere? This is something that I don't think Ulster have thought of. Not Ulster, the organisation, sorry, just Ulster fans in general have really considered because it's not something that has happened very often in Ulster. Certainly it hasn't happened uh, sort of in, in my recent memory. Players, whenever they don't get picked for their country, certainly do become very disillusioned. The only thing that you would say that keeps players in Ireland is a loyalty firstly to their province and then to their country the, the better money is in France there's better money in England and I have absolutely no doubt that there are teams in France especially and probably in England who would jump at the chance to sign Stuart McCloskey if he made himself available now I can't speak at all for what Stuart McCluskey's opinion is on whether he would like to play abroad at any point or if he's happy staying with Ulster his entire career. I know he coaches with Bangor, which suggests that he's very much a home bird and he would like to stay here. And if that's what he wants to do, then fantastic. But if he looks at this as, well, I'm not playing for Ireland, I could go and make some money elsewhere and then maybe come back later on, then yeah, 100% there are players who might who would look at that and think, yeah, let's go for that. So, Do you I, think, though, he might hold on knowing that there's a change of guard at the National Post? Because yeah. I, w- I was getting to that. <laughs> yes, yeah. thunder stolen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Donald. We're not welcoming you back anyway. Um, yeah, that, that's the one thing that will keep a lot of guys in Ireland after this World Cup. Andy Farrell will come in, um, he'll have his own opinions, he'll have his own thoughts on how he wants to take the team forward. It won't be drastically different to what Joe Schmidt's doing, because you've got to bear in mind Andy Farrell has worked under Joe Schmidt for, what, now, two, three years? Um, so he's very much in the same mindset as Schmidt, he's very much in the same uh, process as Schmidt, same coaching style, but at the same time, it's a new voice, new opinion, new face going forward it's certainly a, a case of he could very much think McCluskey could certainly think that he can work his way back into contention under Farrell a lot better than under Schmidt so in terms of McCluskey in particular I wouldn't be so worried because I think he is the kind of guy who would stay at home maybe not, again I can't, <clears throat> I can't speak for his mindset because I don't know what it is Um but I think Ian does make a very good point in general mm-hmm. that if players aren't being selected for their country, there is definitely a worry that they could go abroad because it's not money that keeps players yeah. in Ireland. That's 100% the case. We haven't even mentioned, such was the talking point uh, of the squad announcement yesterday, the six Ulster players who have made it, <laughs> we should mention. <laughs> so, uh, of course, Rory Best, Ian Henderson and Jacob Stockdale are all there and I suppose we can take it as 100% nailed on that they're going to make the final thir- 31. 31. Yeah. So that leaves Rob Herring, Jordy Murphy and John Cooney. How many of their, or who of those three do you think makes it into the 31? I think it's a really good case for all three. I think um, Schmidt has actually shown that he really does like Herring, much to the bafflement of a lot of Leinster Monster fans. 
Uh, because so they were baffled by Rory Best for long enough as well. Yeah, <laughs> but I think like if you watch Rob Hearn's work ethic in getting back in defence, like say a kick to the 15, 15's out position, scrambles on the ball, Herring tracks back so well, he can clear out two or three men by himself. And I think that's the sort of work rate that Schmidt really values. Um, he's Rob, also Rob Herring, sorry to cut in Rob Herring has had a wonderfully underrated year and I know we talk about him quite a lot <clears> but <throat> the fact that he doesn't get talked about more in Irish circles in terms of <clears throat> squad selection <clears throat> is baffling because you go back and you look at some of the games he's had throughout the year That the Zebra game is the one that comes to mind first and foremost because of his hat trick but if you go back and watch that game everything he does beyond just scoring tries is brilliant. He mm-hmm. he's been so good in the loose. He's uh, he's been so good in the scrum, which has improved. Like it's it's no coincidence that the scrum has improved. You know, just in the props, the hooker is also part of that as well, which mm-hmm. I think is something that a lot of people forget about. Rob is such a very strong uh, scrummager now. So for for me, he's had such an undervalued year outside of Ulster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's great that he was named in the Pro 14 stream team because I thought that was a very just reward for the year mm. he's had. Sorry, I cut across you there. <laughs> yeah, but keep, keep going. But I, I think as well that a lot of people talk about Cronin's pace and they'll compare Cronin to Rory. Now, there is obviously a difference in the pace between those two players, but you put Herring in the middle and suddenly the, the gap isn't that big between mm. Cronin and Herring. Yet, I suppose... There's more Leinster fans. They tend to win more trophies, so that voice gets shouted the loudest. But you know, I really think Herring is an outstanding player. It really is. As for Cooney, um, I think he stands a good chance because he's got the versatility of nine and ten. So if they take the gamble on just taking two out and out tens and two out and out nines and have him as the reserve to cover the two positions, yeah. I think that's very smart play. That's probably a and thing that really is in his favour too. I suppose sometimes Ireland's attack can be described as quite conservative and um, there's a lack of ball or playmakers. Well, Cooney is probably quite a French fly half in many sense. He makes a lot of the on-field decisions um, from nine, kicks a lot of ball. Um, he's very quick around the park mm-hmm. too and his support lines are very, very good. Um, so I think he's got a very good chance. Um, Jordy Murphy, before Van de Flyer coming back, I would have said he was guaranteed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, good case for him starting, but a little less so now because Van de Flyer came back and he came back and was phenomenal. So it's good enough. Yeah. Versa- versatility is the key word because whenever you're picking a, a squad for the World Cup, you're really limited with your options you, know, you can't call up 10 back rows and choose between them mm-hmm. the likelihood is you're going to have 5 or 6 and in that five and 5 or 6 you've got to cover every position and you've probably got to try and factor it in so you've got at least at least 2 options if not 3 and you've got to try and work your squad in that way yeah. so that's why I think you've seen CJ Stander switch to 7 for Munster recently, I think it's why Jordy Murphy will have a better chance than a lot of people think because he can cover six, seven, and eight at a pinch if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's why Cooney's got a great shot because he can cover ten as well. Like if if you can cut down on selections in one position by being able to have someone cover another position, then you're opening up options elsewhere, which allows you more versatility in who you can bring. So for instance, say you're deciding between two wingers, but you've got a centre who can play uh, wing as well, then you cut you cut out one of the wingers mm, and you're yeah. able to bring another player in another position. It all depends how you want that squad to sort of shake up by the end. And the fact that if you can drop Jordy Murphy in there and say... Well, there's there's cover for six, seven, and eight. Mm. That covers a lot of bases, which will really work mm. in his favour. So if you if you were pushed in 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 a couple of names or however many names, who's who's getting that out of those three? I'm going all three. All three. I'm going all three. Anything? I think one will miss out. I've got a horrible feeling it'll be Cooney, even though I think he deserves to go. I, mm. 
I, I've just got a really mm. bad feeling it'll, it'll be him that misses out. I don't think the reserve really factors into I'm not sure Dave Carney deserves to be there. I probably would have seen Ludic, who's Irish qualified, who thinks had a better year and much better previous seasons than, than uh, Dave Carney, be there. Plus, he gives mm. the versatility, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. But, I'm I'm not factoring deservedly into it. I'm just <laughs> that's just my opinion. I think I think John Cooney, after the year he's had, again another guy who's been named in the Pro 14's dream team. And just personally, from mm-hmm. from an Ulster mm-hmm. perspective, he's so good for Ulster week in yeah. week out. Yeah. Like I th- I think out of the four scrum halves in the squad, I think he's one of the three that deserves to go. Do I think he will? I'm not 100% sure. I just think he's in a very similar boat to Stuart McCluskey in that no matter how well he's played for Ulster over the past two seasons, you always just get the sense that Schmidt favours that t- trio of Murray, Marmion mm. and McGrath over Cooney. Well, I think one thing I'd say about that is that one thing that Cooney does have that McCluskey doesn't is a lot of respect from the other provinces. Um, be it former players, current players, um, just general pundits, I think mm. they have a lot mm. more respect for Cooney and rate him more highly than they do for McCluskey. Not because he deserves it more than McCluskey, I just think he gets more uh, pats on the back. Maybe mm. it was because of the whole following in, uh, filling in Ruan's big boots, uh, all that yeah. trips out all the time. But um, I suppose that one played for two of me knows all these people. Think. Mm, true. Probably helps. Yeah. Uh, Highlights of last season then, uh, we, we have pitched this as a, a season review, so I suppose we better review some of the season. Um, what were your highlights? Donald, what was your favourite uh, favorite game you were at? Um, well, I was uh, in Paris for the uh, Racing match. I actually really enjoyed the atmosphere, I know. Hold on, right, you, okay, you okay, stop, stop, stop for a second. <laughs> what do you think, not of the, well no, we'll throw the atmosphere in, what do you think of the arena, the U arena? Um... I always like a pitch invasion, so I've got to do that. That was a tip. <laughs> there were scanty people do- waving flags. That was cool. And breakdancing, that was awesome. Um, it was, I suppose, to see it was the reason why I went. And it lived up to expectation. Would I do it again? I probably wouldn't, unless it was a major final at Ulster Ring. Okay. Um, but my favourite match I was at was probably the reverse of that fixture. The Racing game at home. I just the atmosphere was unbelievable. For a while there, it looked like it might be Rory Best's last home game, and that was in January, which was mad to think yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Um, I then became went the right side of the results, so I think that was probably my favourite game to be at this year. Did it sort of stand out for you in terms of significance as well? The result, like, like was that? Do you think that was the moment where Ulster were really sort of announced that they're sort of. Back at that yeah, level. I think I think so. I mean, some people say it was the back to back over Scarlets the week or just before that. You could there's a good argument for that, but Scarlets haven't been the Scarlets they were last year. So, where people were talking about Racing as potential winners of the whole thing, I thought that Ulster finishing them off the way they did and Racing weren't the sort of team to go behind and just fall away like a, a typical French team away from home. I think it. I think it was a really good performance and maybe one that, again, got a bit more kudos from other uh, provinces and journalists as well. Like, we're all very pro-Ulster here, so it's no surprise that we just thought, oh, that's a good result, but I think we surprised yeah. a lot of people with that yeah. result. What was your favourite game? Being at it. Hard to look past the quarterfinal. I mean, the European quarterfinal. Like, the atmosphere that day that is good. possibly one of the best I've ever experienced at a sporting event. Um, just even better than the Giants even better than the Giants <laughs> that's, that's just calm down here um, yeah and in terms of the atmosphere, the performance the guys gave absolutely everything that day um, no quarter given and um, the pride you felt in that team whenever you yeah. drove away from the Aviva Stadium like even though they'd lost even though they'd come so close and still come out in the wrong end of the result just, just that feeling of, man, like th- they nearly pulled that off against yeah. Yeah. one of the two best teams in Europe. Um, that was that's something that I'll never forget. That was an amazing day uh, from an Ulster perspective, which seems so strange to say. Like mm. they didn't win, but yeah. you, you come no, away yeah. thinking that was great. Um, so that that 
by far is my favourite game of the year. But I want to bring, I want to say one more, and that was the Scarlet's Away game that Doe mentioned in in Europe when they won. That was a game that because you got to go to Nando's. Right. I got to go to Nando's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any day you get to go to Nando's is a good day. Um, <laughs> get <them> sponsoring us <laughs> before <laughs> long. Um, not too many people gave Ulster a chance. Mm going into that game it was one of those games where even though Ulster were on an upward trajectory people were feeling good about where the team was going it was one of those ones where you kind of felt going into it they were about to hit a buffer they were about to come up against you know a Scarlet's team who had been in the semi-finals the year before um, who were generally seen as as, as a better side and yet Ulster went out and played one of their more complete performances of the season and came away with a big bonus point win in mm-hmm. Europe that really told you that this team was going in the right direction. You finally saw something from Ulster that suggested this team can play and can mix it with some of the best. That was the moment where you really started to believe that the team was on the right trajectory. Up, up until that point, you just felt it. At that point, it really sort of kicked in that this team was going in the right way and then everything else that sort of led on from that was... Uh, and there was one other match, I can't remember who it was against, but I think Ulster were behind. Um, I remember uh, Shanahan was on and we just held the ball in the forwards and we just dropped it up from our own half all the way up and ended up scoring a try. And uh, the whole process took... I don't know how many. That phases. was the cheetahs away. I, um, I just, I always thought when I was at the games last year and the year before, Ulster off first phase could be absolutely devastating, unbelievable. But you go past phase four or five, and mm-hmm. we had no direction. We we couldn't break a line, yeah. save our lives, and for me that was a real change. Part of it, I think, is down to the forwards. Forwards have definitely come on an awful lot this year. Um, Treadwell, especially. Guy couldn't catch a ball last year inside the 22, and now he's, he's very, very good. Um, we've upgraded our props, not to be too disparaging about Rodney IU, but again, Guy dropped a lot of balls last year inside the 22. Yeah, that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. I was listening to another podcast uh, the other day where they said that Ulster really need to beef up their pack next year. I'm not sure I agree with that. No. I I think that Ulster's pack has come on leaps and bounds this year. I think they've still got a bit to progress. Like mm. don't don't get me wrong, this isn't the final uh, the final product. There's still a lot more to come. O'Sullivan's going to improve as he gets mm. more game time. Yeah. Um, you've got a lot of young hookers coming through. Kieran Treadwell's still only 23, I think he is. It's ridiculous, like he's, it's he's still how young really he is. young, and people don't realise well. that. And he's huge a, man. He's a giant. The back row has a lot of good young prospects coming through. Nick Timoney, again, I think is still 24. Marcus Marcus Ray is 20. Uh, Matty Ray is 24 as well, I think. So, you know, those, those are still young guys in terms of their development. So there's still a lot more to come. I think you're you're 100% right about that Cheetahs game where they just drove it through the forwards, drove it through the forwards, and then Spate. Remember Henry Spate? Yeah. Like, it <laughs> doesn't yeah. seem like this like season he was playing for Ulster. But then he, he breaks through and he gets the try and they get a draw out of that game. Mm-hmm. Whenever their backs are against the wall against Benetton in that game, uh, the first game in that Six Nations period, they come up with a big driving mall tribe, which has been, without a doubt, one of the biggest, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most pleasing things of the last season. That... I think the forwards have to be given so much credit for where Ulster have brought themselves to now. Marcel could see it leading that from the front, but then so many guys coming through and playing huge roles. Eric O'Sullivan, Marty Murr has made that scrum into a, into oh, a weapon so as opposed good. to something that you were sort of going in as a lottery. Kieran Treadwell in the second half of the season has stood up massively. Alan O'Connor led from the front sort of for the first half of the season, then Treadwell took over. Jordy Murphy has come in and added another dimension to that back row. I, I think the forwards, if they can develop even more, will turn this pack into something ferocious. We have some signings coming in too, so... Mm-hmm. Um, the guy's coming in from Worcester Warriors. I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname, but <laughs> if you're looking for beef, like that yeah. guy is huge, is. absolutely massive. And then we've got um, a, a new lock arriving as well, who from the Brumbies is it? Uh, Sam Carter. Sam Carter from the Brumbies, who's a, a former captain for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't see our forwards being 
the issue next year. I yeah. really don't. Um, and I think we've come on an awful had, lot. You had made the point earlier in the season about forwards actually being an Ulster strength, didn't you? That's right, yeah. So Jack, Jack McGrath. I don't know how you have got on with this, but you're getting off topic and time yeah. is ticking on, so I'm going to bring his right back, man. Um, well, sorry, can, can I just add one more thing? You, you were talking about best match. Can I talk about most important match? Because I think there's there's two I just want to highlight as the most uh-huh. important match for Ulster this season. One is that Cheetahs game. <laughs> They're both draws, ironically. Mm. One is that Cheetahs game where that's just one you can accept as the Cheetahs have a really good home record. Mm-hmm. Take a losing bonus point. I think they might have had the try bonus point already by that stage. So take two points, head home and be happy with what you got. Or you play your heart side and you get a draw and you get that extra point, which is unreal. Like yeah. I think a lot of people overlooked that, but at the time that was a phenomenal result with a with a roster that was really stripped down in terms of guys that they were able to take over to South Africa. To get the draw was a massive boost for those guys, especially whenever the forwards played such a big role in getting it. And the second one was that Benetton game. Ulster have struggled so much during the international windows during in previous seasons that if they had lost that game, you could be going into that on a completely different mindset to what they did. Instead, you battle to the last few seconds. You can say whatever you want about Nigel Owen's decision you know, to give the penalty in the first place, but you get the penalty, you kick to the corner, you back your line out mall, they get over for the penalty try and you snatch a draw. Mm. All of a sudden you're looking at <clears> instead of one point, you get two points and you're unbeaten instead of having lost. The whole mindset changes and that set the tone for them picking up, mm. I think it was 21 points in 25 games during the Six Nations. Or sorry, it's 21 out of 25 points in yeah. the Six Nations. Like, I, I think those are two massive games in Ulster's uh, season gone by. In previous years, do I think Ulster get results out of those two games? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I think that's one of the key things that's changed this year. Ulster got results from games yeah. where they had absolutely no right to. Don't know. We've talked about it before, but uh, from the fans' point of view, then how has how have you viewed Dominic Farland's first season? Yeah, yeah, really positive um, because it's he wouldn't have been as big a name as John O'Gibbs yeah. and yet here we are congratulating the forwards and that's where John O'Gibbs, his <laughs> yeah. expertise lay. We didn't really see it last year and I, I was down at the match, I had the season ticket last year and the warm-ups for the forwards last year looked really intense but the skill set just didn't execute in, in the matches where now it does. Um, so I think that's been very positive. He's also been very brave in selecting younger players, which is really incredible. Um, I don't know what he's like to interview, because it's obviously not my job, but he comes across quite uh, like a deep thinker or something in a lot of the videos and the reports I've heard or listened to him speaking. Um, Maybe is he a details guy or something like that? Yeah, Yeah. well, one of the things that a lot of the players say is they're going into things in a lot more detail than Mm. usually, you know, you're breaking down things, you're saying like, well, this split second wasn't right and this split second was. So it's it's very much going into things in very intricate amounts of details. So I think that's good that it's coming across to the fans that, you know, he is a very... Uh, learned guy he likes to read he likes to go into the mental side of the game a lot Um, so I I think it's very interesting that's coming across Mm. uh, from him and it's very true to his character yeah I mean I suppose the biggest thing is that I think sometimes the fans can also be a little bit quick to change their mind on hinging on a performance or a Mm. game Um, and there's sort of been an all-round acceptance that this year wasn't going to be anything yeah. too special. And yeah, I think we've really exceeded that expectation. Um, we maybe performed better than we thought we might have. Then we maybe got our hopes up a little bit. But then we got, got dashed again by Leinster. We were sort of like, oh, well, you know, we did, did all right, actually. Yeah. Um, as soon as I, those hopes go up, they immediately get yeah, dashed. But I think the difference... The difference is that we kind of expected a season of transition, that buzzword of transition, and we didn't really see it. We had more of a season of transformation. We saw a lot of the old guard going, 
even it's weird to think so how many people left mid-season like was it four or five players we yeah. lost in mid-season um, loads of new guys young guys coming through exciting talent um, and just we despite all of that and all the negativity from last year it, it has been a transformation I think you can only really put that down to Dan McFarland and probably um, the new CEO as well that there really is a good feel good factor because uh, pretty much all the other coaches were already there in position um, they're really the only two new people um, but it yeah. feels good exciting time to be an Ulster fan in yeah. it, it's Tra- a transformation rather than transition that's great isn't it it's, a yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's only a matter of time writers, Johnny stays there I'm, I'm always <laughs> thinking of the, the title for the podcast and we always just seem to find it you know in the biggest places don't know just before we move into the rest of our listener questions then um we know that you're an Ulster fan. We know that you've been a part of the podcast. We know that you ask good questions. Mm-hmm. Just very quickly, give us a little uh, brief summary of yourself and how long you've been supporting Ulster for. Yeah, so I'm originally from Waringstown. Um, now I work in Banbridge, live in Belfast. And I got into rugby quite late. I never played it at school or anything like that. Um, but I first really got into rugby around the World Cup we were talking about it earlier, the World Cup where Ireland beat Australia and Stephen Ferris made Will Genny look like a child. Um, and then from there it really grew into wanting to see Ireland play, watch the Six Nations. There wasn't enough Six Nations, then started following Ulster and sort of really picked up pace from there. Um, and even when I was living in London for university, um, that was the year that, over those four years, Ulster played Leinster in the final in Twickenham. So I was at that. Uh, memorable for lots of reasons. I was actually sitting in the second row behind the goal and Tommy Bowe stood in front of me warming up for pretty much all of the second half. <laughs> it was so frustrating, but it was good to see him back. He was coming back from injury, um, but a little bit frustrating. And then um, last year I had the season ticket. Um I suppose one thing we didn't really cover in the review was that a review of Premier Sports because it's the first year we've yeah. had that. Mm-hmm. Personally, I gave up the season ticket because I couldn't afford the two together. Um, but um, yeah, since then, I suppose Belfast isn't a big time, so we get to meet. I've met lots of the players out and about in the time. Um, a lot of them are really easy to talk to, very, very nice guys. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, no matter where I am, I like the fact I can watch the Premier player on the go. So my other half, she lives in England still. So if I'm travelling back and forth on a train or on a bus, I can be sitting watching Ulster on the, and uh, trying to keep it all the cheers inside or <laughs> the depressive sobs, as, depending on which game we're playing. <laughs> that was a great advert for Premier Sports. How much are they paying you out of interest? What I want to know is, do you now have like, a petty frustration with Tommy Bow because he ruined that game for you? Oh, well, no, I mean, <laughs> what Tommy Bow doesn't know is that there was a Six Nations where Ireland won uh, Six Nations. I think it might have been a Grand Slam year. I was, it was my first year at university and I'd just come back to visit a friend who was living in Jordan's time. And trying to cut this story short for the podcast because Gareth's getting a bit nervous looking. Um, <laughs> It was my first ever night out in Belfast and I had a few too many drinks and due to a bomb scare where we were trying to go to, we couldn't go to. This is the most Belfast story. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So we're in this place and um, all of a sudden Tommy Bow walks in and I am so impressed. Now I'm not following Ulster at the stage, just Ireland and I had to go over and shake his hand and tell him what a great guy he was. So I've gone over and I've said hello and he's crouching down because he's a big man and I'm only small and... uh, well, I'm had enough drinks to be aware of myself, but not stop myself from what I'm doing, <laughs> which was as I was trying to sh- speak loudly to Tommy Bow, spitting quite a lot whilst I'm talking, <laughs> and Tommy was so polite about it, and he was constantly wiping his face. I was like, "I gotta get you a drink." He's like, "No, no, you don't get me a drink." That was fine. So Tommy went on his way, and there's this other big man standing beside him. He's just been smiling throughout, and I says, "Hey." Do you play rugby? And this Welsh voice comes back. Yes, yes, I play rugby. He's like, Tommy's some man. He'll give you a few tips if you ask him nicely, I'm sure. Yeah, it was Adam, Adam Jones. <laughs> 
So he'd obviously oh, been oh, over yeah. with the Ospreys and Flynn so and against did, Ulster. Did he then say? No. Yeah. <laughs> so he just started laughing because then like the next six nations are playing Wales this guy with massive hair and I was did like Did you just recognise him? That's so awful. But, I mean credit to Tommy Bow, he was so polite <laughs> and he tolerated me so well. So uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Do you think he uses you as a story? Like on going around <laughs> one night I was on the night out and this guy kept spitting on me. And then Adam Jones beside me didn't recognise yeah, Adam him. Jones maybe Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. So Richard and I love that story, that was great. Richard Tamswell asks, over the course of this season, major positive was the emergence of Alexa O'Sullivan and Larry Balakoon from the Academy. Uh, any players that we hope will make a breakthrough this season coming? I love the way we just straight back into the rugby and no no <laughs> transition whatsoever. Um, <laughs> We're pushing 50 minutes here, guys, and you keep going. Okay. Um, Marcus Ray, after that cameo in the final game of the season, like you've got to say he's got to be at least knocking on the door now to put his hand up for a few more starts next year or, or a few games off the bench. Um, in terms... In terms of guys in the academy, Stuart Murr is another one who is really highly rated in the in the backs. Uh, he's about to go away with the Ireland under twenties, which is a, a great achievement for him. So I think that those are the two guys I'm sort of keeping my eye out for. Um, and I, I was going to say Callum Reid until uh, Jack McGrath signed because I think if. McGrath hadn't arrived, then Callum Reid is someone who you probably have seen play quite a lot in terms of trying to deepen the loose head stocks. But now you've got Jack McGrath, then um, the, you've just got a, a bit deeper and there's less opportunities. He's someone to look out for going forward, uh, maybe not next season. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think for me, it's it's going to be Marcus Ray and uh, Stuart Stuart Doral, we have uh, a couple of questions uh, about Ulster still being short at 10, which uh, <coughs> leads me to believe that people aren't overly hopeful about Bill Johnson. But um, Mark Dempsey asks, should Lowry get a shot at 10? We've discussed this before, but you've already told us you're going to give us an interesting answer, so what you did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know I still have a lot of concerns about him. I really do. Because, because the guys have always said that, yes, he should get it. Yeah, chance, and I know he does the little intro... This is the Ulster Rugby Roundup. <laughs> yeah, right. So he's a, a firm podcast friend. But I, the 10 channel is such an attacking channel for an opposition. And whilst he's extremely brave in defence, he's you couldn't say he's always effective in defence. And there was a while where Jackson was similar, but then Jackson got bigger, he managed his body better, and he became more effective. But... Ulster have a long tradition of hiding 10s on the wing because they can't defend. But now you're having specimens like Stockdale on wings. Mm-hmm. It's There's not really a hiding place anymore. And he's been so injury prone this year that you, you can't really... You would have to start him more often because you have to have then your good guy on the bench ready to come on in case he gets injured two minutes into the game, which it's the game of rugby, it can easily happen. Um... So then you're condemning either Burns or Johnson to be on the bench and maybe get 20 minutes at the end, mm-hmm. but potentially 70 minutes, depending on how well he goes. The other thing I find a little bit frustrating about him is similar to Jordan Jordan Larmer, which is when the ball goes to him, you more or less know that he's either going to pass it early or he's just going to run it. Where we saw one of the tries this season last year or maybe it was two seasons ago, we had Stockdale and Pietai doing like a one-two, basically two or three times the whole way up the pitch. And there's no taking the ball from deep, running up, passing late, continue on your on your line and back and forth. I, I just feel that either Larry gets the ball and passes early, in which case you're just putting the other man under pressure, or uh, he's just going to try and find a route through the traffic. And sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't, he's putting his body in pretty uncompromising positions as well. So I I think he's got... He's very, very young. I'm under no illusions. Um, hopefully nobody creates a conspiracy where I'm really anti him like I tried to with Adam and Marcel Coutier. <laughs> <laughs> you you're, some fun- you're definitely not getting invited back. Yeah. You are really trying to make an enemy of me. Yeah. 
That went on for quite a while as well. Yeah, <laughs> it really did. It got to the point where I had to give an impassioned plea on my behalf to say I'm not anti Marcel Cotillo. But I just think he's got a lot more development to go, and I don't. I think that the ten position is so important that I would need to see a bit more from him mm. in a less pressured position of fullback before I think yeah he's really ready to take all that traffic that would be coming yeah. at him um, so I would just want to see more from him now, but I'm really uh, hopeful for Bill Johnson I'm also maybe not Billy Burns's biggest fan either I'm not yet convinced by him but I think I'm very excited about Johnson so I think mm-hmm. I'd like to see an awful lot more time yeah. for him that's the, the first even remotely questionable thing anything's ever uh, uh, that's been said about uh, Am I allowed to respond to or are we running out of time? We don't have time. Everybody knows that we have like unrequited love for uh, Michael Lowry. It's no surprise to anybody. I will not say <laughs> I agree with that whatsoever. So I, would be, so. I would be compromising everything <laughs> I stand for. Sam Bannister uh, asks, when will we see Aaron Sexton start to, to break in the first team. You see the video uh, a couple of weeks ago of him breaking the school's records? Yeah. He's, he's very, like, he was so far ahead of everybody else. Quick. And he's so like, quick. I, th- I think you don't even realise how quick he is until you see him in the flesh and it's like, oh my word, this guy is <laughs> lightning. Um, to answer the question... There's some guy down the southern hemisphere too. I can't remember what his name is. He's like, Posting similar times or maybe quicker yeah, times, like even 10 11 or something like that. Yeah, oh, Jake, yeah. could we get them on a rugby pitch together? Like, we're running at each other. <laughs> Just, yeah. amazing. Well, I do think we're gonna have probably the fastest back line next year. You look at how fast Fadas is. Balakun's lightning quick, Stockdale's very quick, he's just bulkier, yeah. so he looks yeah. slightly slower. And then you know, Sexton as well, like very, very quick back line mm-hmm. next year. I think we'll have him next year. I think he'll be there no, in the first team next no. year. No, um. It's a bit too early for him. Like you've got to bear in mind, he's like he's people, he's just yeah, people, people are getting so hyped up over him, but he, he is only eighteen. Like he hasn't played anywhere near the level of like even Pro fourteen yet. You know, you want him to get a couple, or maybe not a couple more years, at least a year more with the A's, just to build himself up against bigger opposition, and then you look at introducing him to the first team. He's a great talent brilliant prospect don't get me wrong but you know he's at the moment his only skill is his pace like it's his only top tier skill is his pace if you give him a year to develop his defense his positioning his general rugby sense in the academy and building up over over the course of a year then you can introduce him next year whenever he's a more rounded player and then he can he can still use his pace uh, next year I think okay. you, you've just got to give him a, a little bit more time to develop Jacob Stockdale's now 23 and he was given his Ulster debut in 2016 so like he must have been like 20 at the time he was 20 so yeah this is the thing people are all people always see you know a young talent and think right fast track him get him in as quick as possible that different players develop at different rates it's exactly the same with Eric O'Sullivan you know people are saying how have we not seen Eric O'Sullivan before this year well it could be a case of he developed massively over the last 12 months you know it could be a case of he he wasn't really on the radar until 12 months ago when he hit peak development and established himself as a premier loose head so that it's not a one case fits all Aaron Sexton could be ready to play in the Champions Cup final tomorrow or he might not be ready for two years don't accelerate his development simply because he looks like he has talent let him come through become a rounded player and then bring him in the raw talent doesn't disappear it's <clears> how you develop him into <throat> becoming the right player to slot into that squad it, Jacob Stockdale was actually 19 when he made his debut but he was nearly 20 I do apologize the thing is he, Sexton will still have to replace somebody in the Ulster team and who mm. is he going to replace yeah. is he going to replace Stockdale yeah. or Fadis or Ludic and all these proven mm-hmm. you know, qualities that they in have Balcoon, Ulster's been Balcoon, there. Yeah. 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 and also very fast <laughs> also very fast um <laughs> David Jackson, we've got a few questions here actually about uh, sort of the the wider Pro 14 and rugby world. First of all, David Jackson wants to know, are the Pro 14 conferences going to get reshuffled for the the coming season? Sounds like they will be. We're not getting any additional, because remember there was talk of more teams coming in. No, you would definitely have to know that the additional teams are coming in by now. I think that's been put in the back burners until at least next season, if not later. Uh, But yeah, it does sound like the 
conferences are going to be reshuffled a bit. We don't know exactly what it's going to be mm-hmm. just yet, um, but it certainly sounds like Ulster are likely to get uh, one of the or their Irish team uh, changed probably from Leinster to Munster, and it sounds like the Ospreys are going to come into their conference in place of the Scarlets as well. So I think uh, I think there are going to be a few changes, which could they're good changes for an Ulster fan. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, Ospreys didn't have a good season this year. Uh, Munster, I think, are staring in the barrel of being called a basket case, maybe by Brian O'Driscoll, because <laughs> they seem to be going through coaches and head coaches as quick as we were last year. And plus, I don't really see them signing the quality that we're signing. Yeah. Um, I think we are in a much better place than Munster are. Um, the, I think the gap between Munster and Leinster is probably starting to widen, whereas between Ulster and Leinster, I think it's starting to narrow a little bit. So we're in the right trajectory, and I think they might be dropping off. But, you know, our season this year was much better than expected, and we can't rule out that yeah. Munster could have a similar surprising yeah. year. Is we are in the realms of speculation here, because we don't know. But if the pool happened to be what that would be, so it would be Munster, Ospreys, Dragons... Edinburgh, Kings, uh, Benetton and Ulster. Could you be looking at top on that? Yeah, well, Benetton as well. Benetton have yeah. been so good. Yeah. But and they've, they've signed well for next year too, so don't expect any kind of job. Well, <laughs> I said that and then it just caught myself. Um, the Italian teams obviously are hit so much by the World Cup mm, and by international true. call-ups yeah. because there's only two of them. Yeah. They have to... Um, they survived have. the Six Nations very well. Well, that is true. And um, plus, they've got Keatley coming in. Yep. Um, well, he'll he'll cover for McKinley and uh, Tommaso Allen being away during the World Cup. And so, he's arguably an international standard player. He's going to be there throughout. Yeah. So you know, mm-hmm. they, I think like this the season is very fickle, and I think it's very hard to judge that far ahead. Like for the year Edinburgh have to not be in Europe at all next year is unbelievable. Like mm-hmm, that's really, yeah. really, really tough. And they come on, like, anybody could have said that passing the eyeball test, like, they'd come on hugely sometimes, but that's it's cruel. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think one of, one of the biggest things for Ulster next year is managing expectations. I think we've talked about it before in the podcast. You know, also they've exceeded expectations so much this year that immediately everyone starts thinking, right, well, bigger, better, Mm-hmm. Next season, so you know, got semi or quarterfinals in uh, in Europe this year. It's got to be semi-finals next year. We got to the semi-finals in the Pro 14. It's got to be a final next year. Just you know, Ulster are still a team that are building. Just because they had success this year, you know, that that was as I said, completely exceeding expectations. Let's not start jumping the gun here. They're still in the middle of what we believe is at least a three-year project, if not longer, mm-hmm. to get back to a stage where they're competing and they're competing consistently. So don't do anything next year to compromise that. Stick to the plan. Stick to building. If they get to the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of any of these tournaments, brilliant. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. But... For me, that still shouldn't be the be-all and end-all of where this team is going. They're still growing as a team. Mm-hmm. So as long as they're finishing, uh, getting back into Europe next season, that's got to be your goal for Ulster. Everything else is a bonus. One final question before we go. Uh, Rory Miller wants to know, when will Jacob Stockdale sort his Barnard out? Which is very harsh. Is, but I'm, I'm, getting, a bit, I'm getting a bit long on top as well. I've been trying to get my hair cut for about three weeks. Yeah, so. It's not difficult. It's oh, not you and me both. Like timing is timing. You know? <laughs> I keep calling my hairdresser and they won't pick up the phone. <laughs> so I've, I've got, <laughs> I think Jacob Starkill's It's hard to know. You're both from Lisburn. I like his hair. Just going to put it out there. I like it. If Nigel Owens had his way, Jacob would be changing his hair tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's pretty much us for, for this week then. Don't know how have you enjoyed your official uh, Ulster Rugby Roundup debut? Yeah, it's been good. It's nice to have a chat about rugby. That is so well, understated. Nice, nice it people. was so understated. No, it's been, well, I mean, I'm definitely going to go and listen to it back and then 
write a critique about it, and then <laughs> maybe bring up why Adam has been off air talking about Marcel Kutsia so negatively again. And <laughs> we, can't stop, we honestly can't stop. Can we cut out everything that he said in this podcast? You know, can we have like a and half an hour podcast of just me and you, Gareth? Like we're going to have to go before you two come to blues. We'll be back for the announcement of the European Champions Cup pool draw, which takes place on Wednesday, June 14th. So that's going to be our next podcast in the days after that. Then we'll also have another one in July. And then we'll be back come August, full steam ahead towards the World Cup. So until shortly after the 14th of June, it's goodbye from us. That includes Donald O'Reilly. Goodbye. Adam McAndrew. Should point out the uh, Champions Cup draws June the nineteenth, not the fourteenth. Yes. Oh. I love the way our season ends with me correcting you. I'm so sorry. It's very, it's very funny. <laughs> so we'll see you after June nineteenth from Mega Hanazo. Goodbye.